This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, on today's episode of the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Josh Rowe. Josh, with his wife, owns Frozen Squid Comedy Productions or Frozen Squid Productions. Uh, They are based here in the Copper Country, and I think they would potentially have shows all around the UP. Uh, But anyways, based here in the Copper Country, and they're a comedy production company. Uh, They've got a show coming up on May 5th at the Rosé Center at Michigan Tech. Uh, So check them out on all their different websites, uh, on Instagram, social media, Frozen Squid Productions. Uh, Yeah, got to talk about Josh, about why comedy, where where that came from. Uh, I talked about some of his military experience and why comedy was a big way to get through some of that uh, and just what he's going for. And again, with his wife, how they formed this company, where they're taking it. Uh, So it's fun to hear about that. I really appreciated this one. I hope you guys do also. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Josh, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, I brought you in to talk about your comedy the group that you put together frozen squid productions is that what it's called right absolutely uh so the thought process being we're going to talk about comedy and where that came from whatever else but outside of that world to fit the theme of the obsessed podcast do you have other passions that you're really excited about i mean i'm a big hunter i'm an avid deer hunter every year i I mean it doesn't really fit in with the comedy very much but you know i was born and raised here so i grew up deer hunting yeah okay uh and you know how long you've been back in the up now uh, about three years. Okay. Before we got on, you were saying you and your wife served in the Navy. You were out East for 14 years ish, 16, 16 years. Yep. And you've been back here for a little while now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a deer hunter. Okay. Anything else outside of that? I want to get into the comedy. I'm just curious. Uh, uh, we stay pretty busy with just the comedy. I mean, we travel for comedy and we watch specials nonstop looking for talent. So it was kind of a, it's kind of a natural progression for it to become a business when it was such a big hobby. Um, veterans benefits is kind of my other job that I do. And I do spend a lot of time involved with veterans causes and trying to make sure that our local veteran community is well taken care of. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and for the initiation of comedy, what was that for you? I mean, I, I'm assuming a lifelong thing or where did, where did the world of comedy begin for you? So it absolutely does. Cause growing up, um, for people that have been here long enough, they'll remember in the late eighties, early nineties, there was actually a comedy club called the Northern lights. And it was at the top of the hotel on the canal in uh, Houghton side. Hmm. And my parents used to go to that, but I also grew up with watching like HBO specials once I got to a certain age. And I, I remember my parents watching comedy a lot. So I kind of had that roots. And as I got older, I'd watch, you know, comedy central and different, you know, late night specials that they would have and that kind of thing. But it wasn't until, Ooh, shortly before I got out of the Navy that we started going to a comedy club in Virginia Beach called The Funny Bone. Mm-hmm. And I got to see Dave Attell, who was one of the guys that I was just enamored with growing up because he had a late night with Dave Attell show kind of on. It was on Comedy Central and he would go around to all these cities and he'd go to the different bars, the different venues. But his gig was he always talked to the late night people. 
which was neat because he'd talk to like people who had food carts at midnight. He'd talk to people who worked in like bars that stayed open after hours. And it was just a really neat format. And he was such a charismatic guy. Well, he's also a legendary club comic. Hmm. I mean, just phenomenal. And we got to go see him live in Virginia Beach twice. And the second time he called me out while we were in the audience because I was out of the Navy at that point and I had this goatee and I was wearing my biker jacket and I had a Harley hat on and he looked at me and just the shape of my goatee goes, what are you, the last pirate? (laughs) (laughs) And so I I was hooked at that point. When you get that interaction with a comedian, it's awesome. Then fast forward to our anniversary this past year and we take a trip down to Milwaukee. There is a good comedy club down there and we go to see David Tell again and he says, anything special going on? I said, well, it's our, we're celebrating our 11 year anniversary. And we spent the whole night. He talked back and forth with us throughout the entire show. And it was just one of those memories of a lifetime kind hmm. of things. So <laughs> kind of got a little sidetracked on that. But yeah. I'll, I'll pause for breath for you. <laughs> right, right. And I'm trying to think because, and, and again, we can we can cut this part out, part out if we have to. What's your dad's name? That's a separate. Ricky Sarazen. Ricky Sarazen. Okay. I'm just trying to think of the role last name because there was a gentleman I think of that's a role that was pretty funny. I was trying to think if there was a correlation there. I can't even remember his first name. Anyways, sidetrack. Okay. Um, so, okay. So you had those first interactions. Your parents watched it quite a bit. You had it here in Holton. You spent some time out east into there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, where from there... What was that trajectory like between then and now? Because now you've got your, again, Frozen Squid Productions. Uh, you had that recent event with your wife last year, but what was between then and there? Was it just, again, a, a, a pretty big hobby of yours eventually became, or what was that like? Yeah, we would go to, anytime we could see somebody that we thought was interesting, we would go. Um, we have photos with professional comedians that are huge. Now we have a wonderful photo of us with Burt Kreischer. Sure. Um, Miss Pat, we've seen Dion Cole live. We just, once you got the bug for it, and when you have access to that kind of live entertainment, it was great. Mm-hmm. And it just became a passion that we explored. <clears throat> I mean, we've been to every size show you can imagine from we've seen Cat Williams in Grand Rapids at a theater show where you were, it was just enormous. We've seen Bill Burr in a theater. Um, I've seen Jim Jeffries. I mean, these are all just absolutely huge, crushing comedians who have Netflix specials. And I've seen them all live and up close. And it's, it's a remarkable thing because when you think of your movie stars that you grow up with or your television stars, they're not people that they're real, but they're not. You see them in celebrity gossip mags. You might see them on TV, but they're predominantly in whatever their format is and they're relatively inaccessible. But with comedians, there's a reasonable chance with a comedian that you can reach out on Twitter or Instagram and say, Hey, I really like your stuff. You know, what made you think of that joke? And they'll actually respond to you. Hmm. It's a different kind of celebrity and it, it's, I think it comes from ultimately their income is reliant on connecting with their audience. Sure. So as a comedian, you're not, you're so intimately involved with your audience, just like you would be in, I guess, theater. I'm not much for theater myself, but if you're in theater, you have that same thing. You're living on that interaction with your audience. And I think as a result of it, a lot of comedians are a lot more interactive with their fan base. Sure. Sure. Uh, for, <clears throat> for me, my, uh, comedy, I, I'm huge into it. Oh, I, I'd have to assume lesser than you. I didn't start a comedy production company, right? But, <laughs> uh, I really enjoy a lot of these guys like your Theo Vaughn's again, exposed to a lot of them through Joe Rogan and stuff like this, your Bill Burr's stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm trying to think my first time as like an 11 year old listening to Brian Regan, nice. uh, and just blown away, just laughing away. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's super clean stuff, right? But it just hilarious. Uh, and then since then, again, exposed to a lot of these things and it's, 
unbelievable. Obviously, I'm sure you can relate. When these comedians can just flip what you thought was possible somehow and you're just you can't even control yourself you're laughing so hard your stomach hurts whatever else it's only happened to me like seven times where it's just absolute uncontrollable can't contain it but it feels like the more that you're exposed to it the harder it is for somebody to get me to that point is that true for you too it it, there is a we're in an interesting era of stand-up comedy right now where online access to it is completely out of control right everybody has a special it's all over Netflix, it's all over YouTube. You can get comedy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there is kind of a fear that that would flood out the market and you would become immune to it, but that's where live comedy comes in. Sure. I mean, it's there's something different about being there, about yeah. being in person. And even the comedians say it, you know, sometimes a special comes out and it's just not as funny when you're watching it on TV but the audience is dying because you're going into it with that expectation of I'm here to laugh. Mm -hmm. This is what my whole night is about. <clears throat> right. And then half the audience is usually liquored up. So that helps a lot too, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's that energy, right? You feel with the crowd and feel what, like they're in person versus that you don't feel on the, on the screen. Right. Absolutely. That's an energy that can be harnessed for bad things. Like when people get into, you know, looting and rioting and crazy stuff, or it's something that can be harnessed for good when you bring a group of people together and they know they're there to have fun. They, they kind of build that positive energy in the room that the comedians feed off of. Yeah. What are uh, some early moments for you? Like, can you picture that those first moments of com listening to a comedian and just uncontrollable laughter? Uh, um, boy, thinking back on it. <laughs> um, I, one of the earliest specials I remember is people will remember Eddie Murphy's leather special. Okay. And I, I remember cracking up Eddie Murphy raw cracking up at some of those i don't remember the jokes anymore it's been so many years and that some people's comedy ages well and other comedy is too rooted in current events to yeah. where the references just fall flat after a while and sadly some of my favorite specials i loved them while they were there but they're they're almost momentary in that they exist for a certain amount of time and relevancy and then they fade out but that kind of keeps them as a fond memory and you can't really burn it out like you know, like a Green Bay Packer quarterback career. Sure. Right. Uh, but I guess I'm curious for you. And again, it's got to be universal. Like, how can you not help but laugh, whatever else? But what about comedy gripped you? And and why did you appreciate that? And what, why did you hone in on that versus other oh, things? Absolutely. So part of military life when you get out is a lot of people suffer from depression, myself included. Um, and having something to look forward to that makes you laugh is great. Because hmm. no matter how bad your day is and how awkward your adjustment to civilian life can become um comedy is a part of military life mm -hmm. like the com the level of humor in the military is grossly offensive to most civilians I, they, we, we just know it it's part of what's difficult adjusting because you have sort of a gallows humor kind of a graveyard humor that comes from being in a military situation where you have absolutely no control over your life no matter how ridiculous it is mm -hmm. and sometimes it's really really ridiculous when you're in the military you know it's we're gonna clean for 12 hours today because some admiral's coming that's not even gonna walk by but that's just what we do mm -hmm. and what do you do with that you know you're, you're a 20 something kid and you you know you can't even talk back about it so you know you start cracking jokes with each other and humor is just a good way to make it through a lot of stuff yeah you see that with firefighters with paramedics with even you know police a lot of times there's a little bit of a, a rougher edge to the humor with people that deal with a lot of reality all at once yeah i wonder too that makes total sense and I've, I've talked to i remember on a cruise with my wife or honeymoon with my wife and there was a group of police 
people. I don't know, I'm trying to think what it was. Anyways, a group of police that were there. Uh, and absolutely, we were talking about that, just that crude humor. And it's almost a way to, co- it's a coping mechanism, right? It's a way to get through the day, whatever. It's also a way to try to make sense of the craziness that's going on. Uh, but I also wonder too, is there like, uh, there, there must be a hey, different temperaments. I mean, cause I, I feel like you could find people that are outside of those roles that are still open to, uh, cutthroat humor, if you want to call it that. Right? Absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a very, a very dominant genre. You've got comedians like big J Okerson, who as much as I love him, I would never bring him up here because his materials just, it doesn't fit our culture up here. It's yeah. a little too filthy. It's a little too rough. And at the end of the day, we want this to be something that people don't despise in the community. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They want it to be a positive part of the community. Right. And that's one of the things is, is never give someone a reason to put their back up. Sure. Sure. Uh, so that, okay, that makes sense. So getting out of it, adjusting out of the military life or working through the military life, comedy was a big thing for you to look forward to, to be excited about, to pay attention to, uh, to help you heal through mm-hmm. changes or whatever. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, we started scheduling comedy shows to cope with adjusting to a pandemic life, going from major changes in life. Uh, we changed income brackets drastically yeah. versus the East coast income, but you'd be surprising with the shift in costs. It almost works out better to be up here than it does because you pay so much more in rent when you're on the out on the coast. You know mm. what I mean? Even mm-hmm. with a, even with a bad apartment, it's like $1,800 a month. Hmm. So I make less money here, but it goes further. Yeah. You mentioned the the pandemic had been a part of it. Was it outside of finances too? Was there something else about the pandemic that made you dig into it? Sure. Well, the pandemic was, you know, the social isolation of the pandemic and that lack of being around other people and outside stimulus, you're kind of trapped with yourself and trapped with everything that's very localized to you. So kind of coming out of that, having comedy shows be back open again, being able to get out and do stuff. We started just scheduling one, you know, one every four to six weeks. We'd pick a show down in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, we went down to Chicago once. We've been to Grand Rapids, mostly Milwaukee, though. Hmm. Um, it's They got a really nice comedy scene. But we started setting those up so that you always have something to look forward to. So when you deal with mental health struggles or any type of depression issues, you know, sometimes you can feel hopeless and you can feel lost. But if you can go... You know, today might not be my day, but I know I have this stand-up comedy show coming in like two months, and we're gonna go have this great time. And we turned it into a, just an all-around event. We would go down, and there's a in Burnett Park in Milwaukee. It's on the south side. It's a, entirely a Hispanic neighborhood, and they line up these taco trucks all along this one area between two soccer fields. And if you go in there um, during the summer at night, there's soccer games going on on both sides. And they're the best street tacos in the world. Hmm. And it, it's so interesting because they're so affordable compared to what we're used to paying for an Americanized style of Mexican food. Like their tacos are $3. And so you can go there for 20 bucks and stuff two people to the gills. And you're watching these young kids. They're listening to music. They're inside this food truck. They're kind of dancing a little bit, making food. And they've got piles of fresh cilantro. And they've got this beautiful meat that they're cutting up. And they got it on a spit roasting over here. And it's just you see all these fresh ingredients. And then they hand it to you and they give you this pile of food and they're like $9. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it got to the point where the first few times we went, we would eat tacos twice a day for like two, three days, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's, uh, 
Go ahead. You're going to say something? Well, one of the things we missed from the East Coast is the Southeast Virginia area, because it's military, you get a lot of different people pulled into that area. You can get every type of cuisine you can imagine. The food in the Norfolk and Hampton Roads area is phenomenal. And we have good food up here, but the variety isn't quite what we're used to. So when I talk to a lot of other veterans, um, I talked to another Navy veteran. She's been retired for a long time, and she's in the same industry as me. Um, and I re- talked to her, I said, so what do you miss the most about, you know, being in the Hampton Roads area? And she said, oh, I miss the food. And, and that's the same. That's, that's very common among veterans is you get used to just eating things that up here, you know, like Vietnamese pho, you're not going to find a, a Vietnamese noodle shop up here. Right. But right. that's one of the best things on a rainy day. We used to go all the time in Virginia and you just, you miss the little things. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I missed pasties. And then I came back here and I ate pasties for about three months straight, and I realized that pasties are to be appreciated sparsely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. No, it's interesting. You mentioned the pandemic. The That's part of what started made me start this podcast. Um, I don't know. You think about it. I just got to the point where I'm like, man, I want to have other conversations. Like, I don't care about politics. You know, I'm just over everything to do with the pandemic, everything. Like, let's talk about what makes people tick, what makes people excited, you know, like what makes us more together than different whatever i just i I was just over it i guess that's part of what spurred that but that's kind of goes along that same thought process for you is like hey let's get people together absolutely comedy is about bringing people together and i know that there's some comedians that have made a name for themselves being kind of controversial yeah but ultimately we're trying to skirt a very fine line up here um so the line we're trying to follow on this is we want to have two styles of show we want to have a larger show that maybe brings in some comedians that people wouldn't normally think of and then we want to have a very comfortable small show like the one we did in Alloway. You know, we brought up two comedians that are from Michigan. You know, these are these are blue collar kind of guys. Uh, you know, Billy Ray Bauer had been traveling and doing comedy for 30 years around the Midwest. Hmm. He's not going to come in here and put his foot in his mouth and start talking about stuff. What I always tell people is is, you know, I can't bring a comedian up here as that that's like, you know, when you're taking your Prius to Whole Foods because Nobody knows what people don't have Whole Foods and they don't really drive Priuses up here. They know what they are. They're not stupid. It just it the reference doesn't have the same meaning. Right. You know, so having road dog comedians like that who know how to read an audience was amazing. I watched Billy Ray. So while John Hauser was up on stage, Billy Ray sat there and he had on his phone all of his material. And every time John would do a joke, he would go through his list of jokes and add or remove stuff. And he just, he dialed it in, you know, he's seen what references landed, what references didn't land, what stuff the crowd really appreciated and what stuff they kind of bulked on. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has such a, such a huge array of material to work from that he can really tailor it. And so we like those small shows, but this one we have coming up May 5th, we have Sorab Feruzish, which is, he's an Iranian born comedian. Um, and he lives in Chicago. We met him. He was bartending when we were down there for a Netflix special taping. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was absolutely amazing. And it came up, oh, I'm a comedian. And we're like, really? Got to talking to him. And now we have this great lineup. He helped us put together the other two comedians. Uh, Erica is going to be great. She's hilarious. And John Hickok, I think a lot of people up here will really like him a lot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this lineup isn't, it isn't what people would, I think, expect up here. But part of comedy is is what makes something funny is independent of a lot of people's other hot button issues. Like if a joke is truly funny, it's funny regardless of what you think about it. Yeah. And a real comedy fan has to be able to even laugh at themselves. Sure. You know, so that's <laughs> I, I wanna push the button I wanna push the boundaries a little bit, 
but not from any type of desire to achieve any type of aim. It's just one of the things I learned when I got into comedy and I'm devouring all this comedy is there's only so many comedians that do one style. And now you got to start checking out other styles of comedians if you want to have more material. And that's part of what we're doing is we want to bring comedians that have various styles. They have various types of material that are within a certain boundary Mm -hmm. and bring them up here so people can really see, you know, oh, I like that guy. I didn't care for that girl. You know, this girl was funny, but that guy wasn't. But then that's how you learn what you like in comedy. And that's how we can build a comedy scene up here. Sure, sure. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Let's get into that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frozen Squid productions where where did the idea come from how long did it take you to get into that was there big mental barriers that you had to overcome to start it i guess i'll i'll throw that at you and we can we can keep going from there but around i'd say january time frame of this year we decided you know what let's go ahead and do this i think we can make a show happen and we formulated the idea for the business and kind of did a lot of early research because we had been going to all these different shows and looking at how they put them on in different size venues Um, But we took a look and we said, you know, what kind of business can we do? Do we want to have a comedy club? And the overhead of real estate with the current interest rates is like, that's that's not feasible. I mean, I don't want to go hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt on an idea. Mm -hmm. And we said, well, what if we just use existing venues within the community and kind of instead of trying to find a slice of pie to take out of the nightlife in the area? What if we make a bigger pie and try to establish a comedy scene where I can do 250 seats at the Rosa but I can also do 80 seats outside at Dreamland in August, mm-hmm. you know, or I can go up to the Alloway Community Center and do 100 seats up there. And I can really move it around and it gives me that flexibility. And, you know, Nikki and me just, we went back and forth on it and she always has, I, she always takes my pie in the sky ideas and does my reality checks and it just, we couldn't find a reason why it wouldn't work. Hmm. And then it was like, well, okay, but if we're gonna do it, let's do it as a real business. And well, how do you go about that? That was the question. You know, I'd never run a business. My dad, of course, had, he has a successful logging company, Sarah's and Logging. Mm -hmm. But for me, I've never really, I've only been a part of large corporate machines and government machines. I've never been the guy that makes the decisions. And what we ended up doing is, I I should mention, my wife has a a four-year degree in business administration. So a lot easier for her to get into this side of it. But mm-hmm. still, it's she hadn't done anything with it recently. And, you know, business rules change in standards. So we're like, we need some help. And that's when I found out about the Small Business Development Center mm-hmm. and the office through Michigan Tech. And so we got in touch with him, and, with that office, and we were assigned a senior business consultant, Daniel Yoder. And he, from there on, it was just cakewalk. I yeah. mean, he walked us through setting up our LLC structure, setting up our accounting, 
gave us great business ideas. He connected us with the One Million Cups organization. Mm -hmm. We went and did a, uh, we, during the Cumana Chamber of Commerce's most recent meeting, I did a presentation for One Million Cups following it. And that was a wonderful organization. Um, that got us connected with, we're members of the Q&A Chamber of Commerce. I just joined the Q&A Young Professionals. Um, so it really kind of got us into these connections. And there's this wonderful, amazing, and talented group of people in this area that are all, you know, probably millennial generation or, or younger. And they're interested in trying to establish a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a nightlife and a little bit more of a scene of things to do here because we have great bars and restaurants, but we don't necessarily have that nightlife. So you'll see like Kiwana Young Professionals has been doing a murder mystery and hmm. people have been absolutely loving it, you know, and we have or places like the Bonfire that are great venues, the Orpheum, you know, the Rosa Center, the Calumet Theater. There's all these great venues around here and they do have some shows, but I think we can diversify that entertainment and comedy has a role in that. Yeah, big time. I agree. It feels like, again, I've real estate agent right and yeah. and you feel the influx of uh, attention and demand on this area and then you watch the different industries the tech engineering the uh, tourism whatever else it feels like uh, all these things together are bringing us up bringing us up out from you know what what the economically depressed outlook was from when you and I were growing up in this area, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I feel like the having a, a comedy production company is just fits right in with that, just bringing it all up and, and putting this area on the map in a way too, right? Absolutely. And that's the thing about comedy. That's one of the pitches we're having, why we wanted a B2B angle is as we traveled for comedy, we realized we're not the only ones. People will travel for comedy shows. Yeah. And if it's a big enough draw, they'll go a long distance. But what's fun about a comedy scene is is you can't have a comedy scene with one show in town. Mm -hmm. It's not a scene. That's just you have a comedy club, right? But if you can develop a scene and all of these venues can start bringing it in, even places like Church in the Valley. Are you familiar with them? I've driven by them many times. Church in the Valley in Alston is awesome. So we'll get into that in a minute. But all of these various venues can all have different levels of comedy down to individual restaurants that might. If you can book a band, we can figure out how to do comedy. And we can do comedy open mics. We can establish a local scene of talent. But when this all starts coming together, now people have a reason to visit. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look, the there's even a comedy festival that started up in Marquette. It's the Stand Up Comedy Festival, Stand UP Comedy Festival. Mm. And they're at Ordock Brewing. I just became aware of them. And you would think, you know, oh, that's a competitor. I don't see that as a competitor. I see that as we're going in the right direction. Yeah. Other people are seeing the potential and we're bringing this all together. Right. Right. The name Frozen Squid, where did that come from? Uh, easy. So <laughs> squid is a derogatory term for Navy people that like Marines typically use. They're like, ah, oh, a bunch of squids on that boat over there. Yeah. You know, and then Frozen, uh, my wife's from the South, so it's cold up here for her. <laughs> so we're both squids and we're frozen and we're a production company, you know? Yeah. We're just two frozen sailors who are putting on some comedy in the UP. Yeah. It's, uh, no, I, I just, a side note, my brain will go there. But anyways, I... As far as traveling, I was just telling my wife the other day, I was like, man, I want to go watch Theo Vaughn and I'm looking at a schedule. Like I'd travel anywhere, fly to Texas, whatever. Yeah. Right. If you have a scene here, absolutely. People will come from all around. Mm -hmm. Seems like it. Yeah. It's a big draw. And the Island Resort and Casino has some comedians that they bring in from time to time. But in a way, it's a lot like a state fair circuit. They, they're 
they're limited in what they bring. They don't really branch outside of their own material too much. They know their audience because the casino has a very specific audience. You mm-hmm. know, they, they know what they need. Sure. So they're not going to bring in shows that are going to rattle the cage, that are going to be fun. They're not going to introduce you to a, a comedian that you've never heard of. That's where you go to see a comedian you know you already like. Mm-hmm. And that's where having the comedy scene up here and being able to bring up these people that you know, Billy Ray Bauer has performed at the casino, but nobody up here knew who he was before. Mm-hmm. And he was hilarious. And now he has a little bit of a following. And Johnny Hauser, he has his own podcast, Blunts Upon a Time. And, you know, he got some people that bought his merchandise and that took an interest in what he's doing because he's a Michigan based comic. You know, these are people that are doing things that you can relate to, but are also new. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Have you ever uh, considered doing it yourself? open mic nights or something like that? Um, I thought about it, but I kind of, I'm kind of focused on the business side right now. It's not really something that I'm actively exploring. I, yeah. Maybe down the road, if I got bored, I might try it out and come up with a tight five. But for right now, I, I do do a host before the show, but that's just to kind of part of doing a new thing in the area is setting the expectations, right? It's just like raising animals or kids. If they don't know what to not do, then you can't be upset when they do it. Mm -hmm. So you just do a disclaimer that, you know, comedy, everybody is here to have a good time when you're having comedy. And one of the things with it is etiquette and you don't yell out, you don't talk amongst yourselves. You know, you got to kind of set the expectation for what you, how people should behave, but you also don't want to sound like, all right, sit down, put your hands on your lap. Don't move. It's not, we're not at assembly and the principal's not mad. We're here to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And so we set the expectations well and I kind of introduced people. And part of the last show in Alloway was we raised money for my office. There was a small market that wasn't being reached to my veterans and I didn't have a good solution for it. And it's people that don't have good transportation that are financially challenged that are veterans in the area. A lot of them have dis- disabilities, but getting to Pat's with a food card can be a bit more of an adventure. They have to take a cab. They have to get, you know, public transportation of some sort, but they have the Mohawk Supret right there in downtown Mohawk. And so if you can just give somebody lunch sometimes, you know, that can make your day when you, when everything hurts, when you're depressed, when, you know, life hasn't gone your way, sometimes just having a really good meal on someone else can make all the difference. So instead of doing like a $50 gift card that would stock your pantry, we went with five $20 gift cards for our local vets so that people can just go in, you know, get a couple of pops and a sandwich and maybe get a little dessert or something. I, I wanted to, so I want people to use it to have a good day as opposed to something that helps them more to rely on. Yeah. You know, that's, I like giving people good days sure. and that's part of putting on a comedy show is, Everybody smiled. You know, you grow up with your dad and dads are gruff by nature. It's part of the responsibility. It's to keep you from screwing up. It's, you know, it's necessary. And my dad's a lumberjack. So, you know, he's a, he's a big burly guy and he was tears rolling down his face, <laughs> laughing. His belly hurt the next day. He said, I mean, he, you heard him laugh over everybody else at that show. And there's nothing better than that feeling of, I've got pictures of my mom and dad having this great day. Yeah. You know, and, and we did that. My wife and I and our company, we did that. Yeah. Oh, it's unreal. Uh, that was your first show at yep. Alloway there. What was that like? I mean, d- d- hey, here's the idea. Here's the implementation. It's all theory until you get to that point. Yeah, it or- was absolutely all theory. So uh, part of the research we did was we used some different social media tools. And we actually connected with a comedian by the name of Mike Ball, who is from Lower Michigan. And he's been doing comedy for about 10 years, but he also produces a lot of shows that aren't his own. And he was just this wonderful resource that really 
no fee, no anything, kind of talked us through, here's how you can do this, here's how you can establish a scene. And it's what we found as we've talked to more comedians is that you're basically, you're giving them a place to work. So comedians are very supportive of helping us figure it out once hmm. we had those connections. And Mike Ball was a, he was very instrumental in helping us figure out how we wanted to do it. And he was also, for a fee, he got us our talent. He was kind of our booking agent to hook us up because for the first show, it was super important to us that we didn't miss on the talent. Yeah. Cause if you don't have good a word of mouth on your first show, cause you bring in a comedian that bombs or even worse, a confrontational comedian who offends the audience and causes a problem we would have been dead from the ground up. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was it, we're done. So having somebody like Mike who could pick out and really understand our audience up here and what we needed, he, he was invaluable. So, you know, he, he really helped us get this whole thing together on that standpoint. But then also just talking to people, you know, I'd be on Reddit and I'd be like, okay, I, I, I need to do lights. What are some options of how I can do a lighting rig? You know, what are some things that I can do to, how do I pay these comedians effectively? And, you know, and then once you start talking to comedians and you establish those relationships, which my wife does a lot of that right now, and then you can start asking them questions, you know, hey, you know, how is this normal? What's standard in the industry? And slowly building all of this up is what makes us effective as a production company. And it's also what makes it intimidating for people who don't do it all the time to kind of do it. Um, we had the privilege of talking to a gentleman from a local uh, heritage organization, and he said it was a lot of work to put on their last comedy show. They brought up that Finnish comedian. Mm -hmm. And it was just, for somebody who's not used to doing it, it was a lot of stuff to figure out versus if it's something we're doing all the time, then we're happy to come on board. Um, the Prairie Nations reached out to us. And so we're in the process of finding the right comedian who can come in and do 20 minutes at the D Stadium for Prairie Nations, completely family friendly, but then can put on an adult show later that night that people can buy tickets from us to see. Sure. So trying to, because Prairie Nations doesn't have any funding for this. So this is just kind of us putting it on for the promotional value. And because we support the organization, they've been active in the area for, um, I remember the Prairie Nations when I was in, in school. I don't know how long exactly they've been here, but it seems like most of my life. Mm -hmm. And we do have kind of an interesting and diverse community up here, especially with tech being, having so many uh, students from other countries that come in or other regions. It really adds a lot of fun to the area. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and then even, even thinking back to that again, that first day in Alloway, like I put myself in your shoes. I feel like my nerves would have been through the roof. Like, Hey, is this going to go well? Is it not? But I guess you do enough preparation that you're ready for it. I don't know. Um, so figuring out how to do everything was relatively easy because we had a lot of planning that went into it. The nerve wracking part was ticket sales. Um, Eventbrite told us to expect if you if you do four weeks in your first week, you're going to sell some tickets for people that hear about it, get excited. And then your last week, you're going to sell most of your tickets. Yeah. Well, people waited on us a lot later than we expected. And mm -hmm. it, part of it was that our our digital advertising didn't have the reach we expected. Mm -hmm. um, we we kind of advertised all around the region because we wanted to pull people from other states even. And it worked out. We had some people that came up from down lower Michigan. We had people that came up from Northern Wisconsin. Um, so I'm sure there were some people from other places, but like one of the things that my family commented on is, is we didn't know most of the people there. Mm -hmm. And then my veterans from Keweenaw that were there were like, we don't know most of the people here either. So we drew an audience that was kind of unexpected. It was far less local than we thought it'd be. Mm -hmm. um, I think I lost myself on this one. No, I was just talking about the the nerves of the day. And then you said like it ended up being the ticket sales. I ended up being a... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So like the two days before the show, 
we were sitting at probably 45% ticket sales and we were hoping for 70% ticket sales as kind of our target for this first event. And I mean, it was like buzzer beater. It came down. I think we sold three tickets at the door that brought us up to our target number. Mm -hmm. So it was as last minute as it could. I mean, we, we didn't make any money on the event. We actually kind of lost a little bit on it, but we expected it with being our first event. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the lessons learned related to marketing strategy. Right. That's anything. Just getting it off the ground. Right. Right. I mean, neither one of us have ever done it. So figuring it out from scratch and who do you ask? You know, the marketing side of it was just kind of, I've used Facebook ads through my Q&A veterans role um, to kind of promote the office. And I've worked with local radio, but I, I would say one of the big turning points for us probably was the Q&A Chamber of Commerce meeting, their morning speaker series, and then the Million Cups, because we got a lot of really good feedback about um, like the Q&A Young Professional Slack channel was a great place to present it. Uh, one of the feedback we got was there was a Discord channel for Michigan Tech that has an event section. Hmm. So we used that and we're making more and more connections for just getting the word around. I mean, word of mouth is huge. We did do flyers, but flyer, they got up later than we would have liked for the last show. For this show, they're coming up much earlier, mm-hmm. but just getting that physical presence and then the other thing that we weren't prepared for was Eventbrite wasn't as well received as we expected. To us, we thought that people would have very little trouble using Eventbrite, but I think to a lot of people, they weren't familiar with it, and another new app that wants my credit card number can put some people off. Yeah. And understandably, there's a lot of gimmicks out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, absolutely that initial getting off the ground, but then eventually the, the hope is, right, the supply and demand curve will twist, right? Mm-hmm. And you're selling out right away. Right. Uh, This next show, though, we're going to go through the tech box office um, just because of the convenience of access to their their ticketing portal, Mm -hmm. you know, and people are familiar with it. We kind of wanted with it being a bigger show. I mean, we're we're kind of we went from a low level kind of say like a four figure show to this next show, our output for talent. And we we went up about 20 times on our production costs for this Mm. next show. The Rosa is not a cheap venue to book, and our talent output for this one is a lot higher because these are comedians with credentials. Mm-hmm. They have specials that you can go watch on YouTube or various places. So, um, the scale of comedian determines the scale of pay. Sure, sure, yeah. It's uh, there's got to be a feeling though of uh, pride, like you said, or something, right? It's got to be a fun feeling to go through that show and then see the people laughing, see your dad laughing, and at the end of the day, like, hey, we put this together. You know, it couldn't be possible without all the help that you had, but also like, yeah, we put this together. It, it's surprising because it's anybody who's been through anything that's intense and kind of emotional, it's never quite what you expect. So I kind of, when we finished the event up, we paid the comedians, the night was a complete success. Everything went wonderfully. We we're so happy. I expected this overwhelming feel of elation to roll on hmm. you. And my wife was thinking the same thing. And it's not really what happens. It's for the first two days after, it's more of relief, like, ah, okay, that's done. You know, it, and then afterwards you kind of reanalyze and examine and you take pride in different things and then you start to feel good. But that overwhelming sense of, yay, joy, I expected that elation I expected wasn't really there after the show. It was just, it was a job that we did well and it was done and it was relief. Mm-hmm. The other thing, I, I just talked about this with somebody else recently, Lance, gentleman that I had on is uh, enjoying the moment like right Mm -hmm. now like in theory you're going to be this big production company right Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you could find yourself for the next 10 years thinking about the next step, the next growth, the next this, and never taking time to be like, look where we're at. Look what we made. Do you find that at all? Are you like, again, you're thinking about the Rosé performance. You're thinking about this. You're, you're not taking a moment to stop and say, Hey, look what we've done. Right. We actually were deliberate about taking that moment to really appreciate what we did because, um, that's one of the things that makes when you're dealing with any type of depression is you got to accept the wins that you can. Yeah. And if you have any type of, there's a lot of people that live with chronic illness. And if it's difficult, say this is unrelated, say you're a person who has difficulty even get out of bed because you have such physical ailments. So on a day where all you do is sit up for a minute, brush your teeth and then get back in bed, that might be a win for you. Mm -hmm. You have to learn to make your wins relative to your life. And you have to accept that you can't judge yourself by the standards of your community, by the standards of your country, by anybody else's standards. You have to make your wins relative to your own individual life. And so that's kind of how we look at everything now. And it really helped a lot is, is, you know, it was a small show and we didn't sell out all the way. We sold 70% of the tickets that we wanted to, um, but everybody had a good time and we've never done this before and we pulled it off and that's a huge win. You know, the, the perfectionist, the military side of me goes, yeah, but we need to do it better. We need to sell hundred tickets. We need to do this, 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 this. I could have fixed 20 different things about that show, mm-hmm. but part of learning to be in a different lifestyle and get out of the military is going, that was a good show. Take the win. Mm-hmm. Don't beat yourself up about what you didn't do right. Take the wins that you've got. Yeah. No, and I'm really celebrating for me, like that part of the reason I wanted to have you on is the fact that you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that have these kind of ideas. There's a lot of people that think, man, that would be cool. But how many follow through, create the company, have the branding, do the marketing, put the show together. That's very, very few. Yeah. We would absolutely be lost if we had to pay everybody for everything. But my wife with no creative background, um, taught herself GIMP, which is a graphic software that's free to use. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like, it's like stone age Photoshop. It's it's a lot harder to use because all of the super sweet automated features from Photoshop aren't present, but over time she learned it and she did all of our graphics design. She did all of our posters, anything that we posted to social media, anything graphic related, she taught herself and did all of that. And I am just so immensely proud because that's not something either one of us have a natural talent for. And she really took it upon herself to do that. And I think everything came out killer. The flyers look awesome. Yeah. But there's a, so there's the actual act of doing, but there's the mental hurdles of like mm-hmm. taking the step, oh, putting yeah. it out there. What are people going to think? Right. Uh, did you struggle with any of that at all? Or was it? No, it was easy for me because I was able to fall back into an old mental stage, so to speak of when we decided we wanted to do this, it became something that I was going to get done for my wife. Okay. E- even though we have a very equal share in this, Um, I was able to, and people that are in the military will understand this, it it, it became a mission, it became an objective, it Mm. became something that had to be done. And when you're in the military for long enough and you have a task, it doesn't matter whether you can think you can get it done or not, somebody told you to do it, so you gotta start figuring out how you're gonna get it done. Hmm. You know, it's the whole how you eat an elephant one bite at a time, same kind of thing of, we wanna start a comedy production business, okay, well, what needs to be done for that? And just checklists and follow through and calling, and the hardest part was until we got our SBDC manager, there's a lot of really bad business information on the internet, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to regulations. Sure. So navigating the regulatory environment, that's what our SBDC mentor really, really helped with. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have a, and I, I could just see letting it grow into what it should grow into organically, but do you have like a five year, 10 year, not even putting a timeline on it, but like, this is the ultimate plan of where you'd like to get to, or are you kind of just letting it see where it goes? 
Uh, no, we're not really thinking that far out. Our biggest thing is is we just want to have more active comedy. So it's more about scaling. Okay. Um, so we're looking at we want to do a show a month for sure. We'd really like to get up to two shows a month, and whether this local environment can support that, I'm I'm questioning, but we are willing to branch a little further out. We're looking at places like maybe Crystal Falls or Iron Mountain potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to do one high-level show at like Rosa or Bonfire, and then I'd like to do one community show at a community center or a bar or a restaurant somewhere. You know, two tiers of show, two tiers of comedy, something for everybody. You know, if you mm-hmm. don't want to be around a million people and be stuck at the Rosa Center, I can understand that. It's not for everybody, so go to a smaller show. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, I myself, I don't necessarily always like to be in a giant crush of people, so certain venues would appeal more or less to me depending on where the comedy was. And we're trying to take into account everything we learned as comedy fans in order to make our comedy shows better. And you've seen that kind of at the Alloway Community Center, when we were getting ready to lay out the chairs, when people rent that place, it's it's rectangular and it's long. But on the right-hand side is a kitchen and a fireplace. And so normally when people set up for anything in there, they do it down at the far end and they run all the chairs long out. Well, the problem with that is, is you're farther from the comedian when you're sitting in the back. And so my wife said, if I was at a show in this place, how would I want it set up? And that's how we set it up. There were only four rows and they were horseshoed around the stage. Hmm. There was... She even offset the rows because she hated when somebody tall would sit in front of her because she's only five feet tall mm-hmm. and it would block her views. So she set the whole place up how she would want to go if she was walking into it as a fan. And when our stand-up comedians got there and they looked around, they, they didn't really understand who we were. They thought we were successful business people and this was a business venture that we were doing. They didn't realize we were just comedy fans who were basically doing this out of our paychecks mm-hmm. to try to get this up and running. And so once they kind of got that and they looked around, they were like, this is set up so well. And they said, you'd be surprised how many shows they show up to. People don't think about a stage. They don't think about lighting. They don't arrange the seats the right way. But you could tell that somebody who's been to comedy set up the floor. And I I was blown away by how it all worked out. Like, I'm not not the organized thinker like that that would have set the room up right. But she absolutely crushed it. Hmm. That's interesting how your... I mean, obviously, right? But your passion for it and your history with it will make you a way better production company than somebody that's in it with the right resources and the right funding behind them or whatever, right? Ultimately, what I've found in my life is that any business that exists because there's a business guy with money and that's his contribution, it tends to be a hollow business and it tends to only survive based on the whims of whatever's trendy. Um, Passion goes a long way. I mean, you have to... Don't get me wrong, business is business. You have to follow the rules. You have to have a savvy mind. And there's times when you have to be a shark. Don't. But if you can add passion to your business, that's what makes a successful business. You take and you look at a place like the Comedy Store out in uh, Hollywood, LA area. It's It was run by Mitzi Shore, which is Polly Shore's mom, for decades. I mean, if you go in that place, there's Richard Pryor's on the wall, uh, George Carlin's on the wall. Every comedian for the past 50 years has been through the Comedy Store at some point. And that's because it was just passion. That's Mitzi ran that place. She was the mother of comedy out there. I mean, Joe Rogan came up through there. I know you're kind of in that comedy group. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen Tom Segura. We've seen Burt Kreischer. Um, I haven't seen Rogan, uh, 
but all of those comedians that's the scene that they kind of came up through right and it went through its downturns it, it kind of died in the 90s when comedy took a hit that's when we lost our club up here actually hmm. um but it, it all kind of took a hit and then because of passion because that's what mitzi shore did that place always hung on and it came back and now it's this historical force in the comedy world and I, I even look at my family's restaurant, Dreamland, out in Boojack, and that's been in the family for, I think, what did we figure it out, 110 years this year? Wow. And, you know, there's ups and downs in the restaurant industry. The COVID is a prime example, but it's still open and it still exists because the family has a passion for it. It's their history, it's their land, it's their business, it's their family name. And those are the kinds of things that make a business successful even when there's a downturn, even when times get tough. If it's just money, you just close up shop and walk away. Mm -hmm. Passion is what keeps you going back even when it's not profitable until you can make it through to the next time it is. Yeah. No, it's interesting. The And even on that front too, you talked earlier about the bringing happiness to people in this area. And that, but that made me think of what I'm thinking about right now through this winter is, man, the lack of sun. It's a cliche conversation even, but it's important, right? In this area, the lack of sun, uh, can be detrimental, right? Absolutely. Seasonal depression, stuff like that. So bringing some comedy in to try to counteract whatever that is could be super huge as well. Eh? Right. And then when you're, when you're on your fifth day of gray skies and blowing snow, it can get a little long, but if you're like, Hey, I got these tickets for next week and mm -hmm. I don't care if there's a blizzard, I'll hook up the sled dogs. I'm going to this comedy show. And the other thing is, is, is let's address the elephant in the room. We live in a time where there's a lot of anger between groups of people over various things that we don't really need to discuss, but we can all get together and laugh at comedy. Right. And comedy isn't here to make, at least our comedy, it's not here to make a political point. It's mm -hmm. not here to change anyone's hearts or minds. It's just here to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've learned that through this. And then even going into this, that was part of my thing too, is, uh, we're so similar. We're fighting over all this meaningless, not meaningless. They're important conversations maybe, but we're way more similar than we are different. Bring people together instead of ripping people apart. Exactly. Right? I mean, there's only like five places to go to breakfast within 20 miles. And we all sit down and have breakfast at the same restaurant periodically. We all drink the same coffee. We eat these same eggs. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that we have to dislike each other because of what people a thousand miles away from us are doing. Right. Right. You know, and I've heard people talk about it. Uh, if you've watched the news, you watch social media, you would think that there are fist fights happening everywhere. Uh, everyone hates everybody, but you go into community and it's one positive interaction after another. So what's going on? Where's the disconnect? But it's a lot of what's being fed to you, right? I, yeah. And I'm going to blow some of your viewers minds right now. I, I, this is, this is going to sound scary and please brace yourselves for this. Um, we went to Chicago and seen Mark Norman's stand up special taping for Netflix and we walked home at midnight in Chicago, three blocks, and it was perfectly safe. Yeah. And then the next morning we got up and we went and got donuts in Southside Chicago and had the best coffee and donuts ever, and nobody shot us. We didn't see a single crime happen the whole time. We never felt like it was dangerous. We had a great time. there. But if you listen to the news media, Chicago's a war zone, and how could you even go down there? Same thing mm -hmm. with Milwaukee. Right. Um, the cities really aren't that bad. It's just, if you don't know how to be in a city, it can be intimidating. If you don't know the signs of a bad neighborhood, it can be intimidating. But the reality is, is most people get up in the morning and just have to make it through work for the day so they can come home and spend time with their family. Mm -hmm. And that's all they care about. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. I'm on board with that. On a separate note, how, when was that? You're going to watch Mark Norman? Um, it was two or three weeks ago. I think the special is going to come out 
probably in August or September. Okay. How funny is he? He is hilarious. He's a he's a very rapid punchline kind of guy, very observational, and he has his own sort of character. Right. Um, he's great. He I when he was coming up in comedy, I interacted with him a lot before he broke. Yeah. And so I kind of seen him evolve over the past six or so years, and he's really become a very talented comedian. His first special, I didn't necessarily care for. Amy Schumer kind of pushed him to the forefront. Um, but he kind of went back to the drawing board and really figured out how to double down on what makes his style, his style. Hmm. And now that he found his voice, that's a very common concept in comedy is finding your voice. But now that he's found his voice, I think he, he's laying into it well and he's doing great. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more of him. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'd say him and Theo Vaughn are my two favorites. Very nice. Uh, Sam Merrill was absolutely killer in Milwaukee. Do you know Sam Merrill? No, I don't. Oh, you're missing out on that one. So in his crowd control video, you can actually see his crowd work video from Milwaukee. You can see my wife and I laughing as he takes apart this drunk lady in the crowd who kept interrupting the show. Right. But uh, Sam Merrill and Mark Norman have a podcast together. Okay. And it's uh, something about them being hammered. I I haven't checked it out too much, but uh, it's an alcohol-related podcast. Yeah. Is Sam Merrill, was he a basketball player or something like that? Or uh-huh. he's a comedian? Okay. I'm just looking on, online here as we're checking kind of out. I probably spelled face, the name wrong. New York looking comedian. Okay. Theo, are you a fan of Theo? Uh, Theo Vaughn is great. I haven't listened to anything from him recently, but he's great. Yeah. Uh, one of the comedians, and I, you know, don't put this down as firm, but that we're in talks with that I think people really like is John Reap. Okay. And he does a, a special called Ginger Beard Man, but he was the guy from the Dodge commercials the ginger guy that would lean out the truck and ask, is that a Hemi? Okay, sure. Yeah, and we've seen his specials, and he's hilarious. And so we're thinking he would be, I think he would kill up here. He would be a really fun Rosa Center type show for a lot of people to come out and see. Right. He's got good draw, his material. He's very country-based comedy, you know. He'd get along with the people here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I think he would be absolutely awesome. So we're we're hoping we can make that work at some point. We're talking with his agent. Um, He's a little bit bigger of a comedian, though, so... You know, like I said, we're financing this out of our paychecks. We don't have we don't have a money guy and we don't have a bank loan. So trying to output the money to bring some of this bigger talent, it gets to be very pricey. John Reeves a little bit out of our reach right now. Sure. But we're hoping sure. if things steamroll well, hopefully like this fall, maybe next year or something, we can bring somebody like that. And another comedian called Greg Warren, we're absolutely uh, he has a special called Where the Field Corn Grows. That is, we're, we're huge fans. He's a clean comedian too, mm-hmm. which is nice. He does a lot of corporate gigs, but he's uh, absolutely hilarious. And that seems to be, there's some people that think you have to be foul mouth to be funny, and that's just not true. There's a lot of great clean comedians. Mm-hmm. Jeff Allen stands out amongst them too. And you're seeing with the Dry Bar Comedy site on YouTube, you get to see a lot more clean comedians because they're based in Utah. And so they have, I think they're in Salt Lake City even, or no, one of the one of the cities around there anyway. So they have a heavy Mormon population and they're kind of limited. They don't have alcohol and they do a clean routines, mm-hmm. but they have this absolutely killer comedy scene. And when we were doing our first show, a lot of people were like, you don't have alcohol at your first show. And it's it's not that big of a deal. Some people make it out like, oh, you can't do comedy without alcohol. You, you can. Dry Bar does it all the time, and they're packed. Right, right. You know. So, and our show went well. You know, people if people really want to drink, they can go. They can go get lit up before the show and come in. You know, mm-hmm. it's an hour and a half. I think everybody can settle for soda or water. Sure. But this next show will have booze at the Rosa Center. Well, it'll have beer and wine. Okay. Right. Uh, there was somebody else too that I was thinking of. Preacher Lawson. You follow him I, at all? I have not. My wife does, and we know the name. Okay. 
Um, he's, he's funny. He is funny. And one of the comedians that we're looking at booking and bringing up here out of Wisconsin, uh, he's a veteran, had worked with Preacher Lawson before. That was one of his credits that he threw down. So that's where I became familiar with the name. Yeah. And it could be that he's a scalable where you could get him up here. I don't know. I, you know. Absolutely. So and anybody that has a blockbuster promoted Netflix special is probably somewhere north of $20,000 to bring up. Mm -hmm. So, and then it only goes higher. Dave Chappelle's like $250,000 to get him to show up. Yeah. But you could just have a comedy club and he might fly in and do a set because he wants to. So you never know. Right. But, um, as, as we've gone through the scale of things, it was kind of eye opening. Um, you're looking at five figures for anybody that's on Netflix. Yeah. And so to put out that much talent, one of the things we wanted to do is we did $25 tickets for the first show. Um, these next show is $35 tickets, 30 for students. But we want to keep it affordable. We want it to be accessible. I know $60 or $70 out in tickets plus dinner is a lot for somebody who doesn't make a lot of money. But I feel like even if you're working a job where you're not making the most money up here, that's something that's approachable. You know, I can I can put a little away this paycheck, a little that paycheck. I don't want it to be something that financially excludes people because mm -hmm. we don't live in a very wealthy area. We have a lot of people who work their self to the bone for very little pay. And I want them to still be able to come out and have a good time. Yeah. We're doing a Father's Day show too. And for that show, that's that's trying to keep the price point as low as possible. So as many dads can get out and have a good laugh is really what we're trying for you know so mm -hmm. we're in talks with the bonfire on that show i don't i don't know if that'll end up being the venue but there the, the lady that runs it is such a nice lady and it's a great venue so we're really hoping we can figure that out but it's going to be tied into bridge fest and that's the other thing the chamber of commerce has been super supportive of what we're doing because they love the idea of course you want to be a draw and you want to bring people to the area absolutely you know what i mean right so right. one of the things that they are talking about is bridge fest because after so many years of pandemic, it's kind of had a little bit of a downturn and they want to spice it up again and really have more interest in it. So we want to do a Father's Day comedy show tied to Bridge Fest. And then we want to get a booth at Bridge Fest and have our comedian come out and sell merch and meet people during the day. And then people can come see him at the show during the night. Mm -hmm. So trying to be inclusive in those things. Cause I remember bridge fest being huge with the seafood festival when I was a kid, like it was packed. It was almost like 4th of July. And last year when we went, it was a little bit less. And I would really like to see that come back because it's a, it's, a it's a great thing to celebrate. I mean, my grandmother told me stories of she was a receptionist in a building in Houghton and watched the, build, uh, the bridge being built. Hmm. And my grandfather on my dad's side, who was a World War II Marine in the South Pacific, helped build that bridge. So the ties to the community with Gunlock and everything are just huge. And that bridge is just so symbolic of the area. That bridge festival, it's something that people should come to the area for. It's something we should promote. And we just got to figure out how to add as much fun and value to it as we can. And I think having a comedy show tied to Father's Day, tied to Bridge Fest, it's just the right mix for the area. I think people find a lot of fun in that. Mm -hmm. And again, tying it back to a real estate perspective, it's weird how the little, little things will make it so a buyer or somebody who's looking to move to this area make the emotional choice to move here and mm -hmm. something like having a comedy scene or having the park down the street or whatever those kind of little things i feel like are the difference of something like yeah let's move there let's take our family head there whatever right yeah uh which some would argue maybe is detrimental just because you want to kind of keep our little slice of 
pie here, right? Which you get, but feels like it's better for the area, just growth in general, right? Well, I mean, even just look at our existing businesses that really provide for the community. Uh, you know, our hospital systems and our colleges, they have to draw talent. And part of drawing talent is giving people a reason to move here. There's yeah. only so many doctors who are outdoor enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. There's only so many college professors who want to go hiking, mm -hmm. but you still need to get those talented people up here. And sometimes having that that complete draw of look, you're you're not in the middle of nowhere. We have a comedy scene, we have axe throwing, we have curling, we have snowmobiling, we have a million. There's something for you to do no matter what. That we think is important because right now, almost everything shuts down at eight o'clock at night, even on a Friday and Saturday night. You know, we got our couple of bars that stay open a little bit later, but the whole town just kind of shuts down and. When I was going to tech before I went into the military, I remember wanting to be out late, wanting to do things, you know? So if 18-year-old kids want to pile into a comedy show for something to do, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, why not? There's got to be things. We, we would be so bored, we would go to Walmart at 2 in the morning because they were 24 hours back then. Yeah. You know, or drive up to the holiday on the upper highway by Calumet to get a pizza at 1 in the morning because they used to be 24 hours and they're not anymore. But I just always remember being the area being a little dull if you didn't want to go to a bar and it was late at night. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to try to answer that. I mean, I see a future where we do a show that gets over at 1030 at night and then from 1030 until two o'clock in the morning is open mic night. Yeah. And aspiring comedians come in, sign up, do five minutes. And then, you know, everybody sticks around. We have a good policy, not too much heckling. Don't throw anything. But, you know, Everybody goes in there with the understanding that these are people that are taking a shot at it, you know, so be supportive because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who will talk smack, but there's not a lot of people who will get up and do it. Right. Right. The, uh, I got a question about that in a second, but the, we talk about things changing or things shifting as I, I realized, I don't remember what it was within the last year or two driving downtown Houghton. There's a guy on the corner playing his guitar with his guitar case open for tips. I'm like, man, we're at different Houghton than I remember. Maybe that was a thing before, but it feels like, ah, we're downtown Nashville. I'd, I'll tell you that. And it, this is, I, we can cut this if it doesn't come out exactly the way that I hope. But when I got to boot camp, one of the shocks was becoming familiar with black culture okay because up here growing up in the 90s and even in the early 2000s it was a predominantly you drive down the street unless you were at the tech campus everybody up here was white and coming back from the military and seeing how diverse the population of the local areas become that was that was a pleasant surprise because it's like we get new ideas we get new fun things the area can still stay the same but like even having a sushi restaurant in downtown Houghton, I was blown away by, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, we always had a strong Chinese population from Michigan Tech and we had a couple of Chinese restaurants, but foreign exchange students at the Ming Garden when I was a kid taught me how to use chopsticks while they were doing their homework. Hmm. You know, I remember that as a kid and that was so cool. And that introduction to other cultures can be, it, it can be really beneficial to an area, but I know people here are concerned about preserving their culture and I think that can still happen. That they, they don't have to be exclusive. We yeah. can have a lot of fun new stuff. And then every year we can still honor pasties all day long. And, you know, we like to shovel snow and eat pasties, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, for sure. The other, the other question I had then you earlier, when I asked you about, would you do stand up? You mentioned a type five joke. Is that what you said? Yeah. There's always uh, the idea is if you're going to go into a comedy club that, you know, and you want to audition, you got to have your type five ready for the comedy store, which is 
uh, five minutes of tight material that you've polished that you can roll through from start to finish. And that's your, that's basically, it's your comedy resume. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's your pitch time. If you were doing sales, it would be your pitch. Sure. Your type five is the yep. word. Okay. I thought you said type five. Like there's a type one type. Oh, five. Okay. no, no, no. Type, type five. Okay. Yeah. As in there's no fat in it. There's nothing that needs to be taken out. It's, it's only your best material. Yeah. Do you have that? Not Absolutely that I'm going to put not. you on the spot right now, but do you have, no? Oh, no. I haven't, yeah. I haven't done any writing. I, I find myself to be situationally funny, yeah. but I, I'm not really a sit down and write jokes. And it's, I just have too much things going on. <laughs> yeah. No, not that you have to. I'm just curious. Again, it feels like in your world, maybe you'd consider that and even put it as like, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it'd be scary for me to go think about doing that, like uh, terrifying. Uh, but anyways, just like overcoming that mental challenge of uh, allowing yourself to do it just to see where see where you go mentally yeah actually it doesn't bother me the idea of doing it uh my biggest concern is having that interfere with the business model sure i i don't want to get to the point where i do say i get up and i do five minutes and absolutely kill and everybody laughs and now all of a sudden i'm focused on oh i can become a stand-up comedian yeah and there's there's a point where ego can run away with you to Mm -hmm. where my goal as a stand to be a stand-up comedian could interfere with my business as a production company. Sure. And so right now I've kind of shelved all of that. And I told my wife, I said, if that's something I ever really wanted to do, when we get to the point where the scene is big enough to support open mics, maybe I'll just go do an open mic at somebody else's open mic. Sure. Just to try it out sometime. But it, it kind of think of it as dipping your pen in the company inkwell. You know, I'm, I want to keep the business separate and really focus on bringing up talented comedians mm-hmm. that do it for a living. You know, instead of some some hacky Navy veteran who wants to throw out five minutes of jokes, you know, I don't mind getting a chuckle here or there, but uh, I think it would distract. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. But I'm just curious again. Obviously, that's a huge part of your world. Would there be some growth within you internally in overcoming that? But it sounds like it's not a huge fear of yours necessarily. No, public speaking's always been really easy for me. Yeah, the public speaking side of things, I feel like I can handle, but it's the let me present jokes and see how the crowd reacts to it. That would be. Oh yeah, but I mean. <laughs> I'm a Terry Pratchett fan. Are you familiar with him? He's an author that passed away. Uh, I don't know. I have uh, to take a look. The but master anyway. of British satire. He does the Discworld series. The man was so talented that he blogged his own death in character from his own world, from his world. Huh. Uh, he was just absolutely amazing. But part of the, part of the Discworld series is there's a tavern in this town called Ankh Pork, which I know that's a mouthful and a half, but anyway, they have a bad pun competition. And I've always had appreciation for people that groan at a joke just as much as people that laugh at a joke. So honestly, I don't think it would bother me to bomb. One of the best bombs of all time was Bill Burr in Philly. Yeah. Have you ever seen that video? I think so. He gets to the point where he's like, F the Liberty Bell. Yeah. (laughs) I got five more minutes. And he's just, he ripped apart that crowd. And eventually they started laughing. But I've been in the Northeast and that that Philly, Trenton, D.C., New York City kind of area. That's a rough crowd. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very rough crowd. There's a reason one of the best hockey fights of all time was Philly, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and the New Jersey Devils. They emptied the bench like multiple times. It got to the third faceoff. The ref dropped the puck and the two centers just decked each other instead of even playing. (laughs) And then the whole bench emptied out again. The the goalies fought. I mean, you got to look it up sometime. It was in the 90s when hockey was probably the golden era of hockey. I'm going to call it the 90s. Yeah. When the Red Wings were huge, yeah. Yeah, before the strike. Everything before the strike was that hockey was on such a come up and I'm a state I'm a state championship hockey player, Squirt B out of Calumet. So uh, I always grew up big fan of hockey. 
and uh, it was it was going so well, and they had that strike, and they just never recovered. Yeah. You know, hockey's only passably relatable to so many people because of the equipment costs. Having your kid be in hockey is just it's. My parents made it work, but I I used used equipment, and you know it's a struggle because you got to travel to the games. Uh, ice time's expensive, pads are expensive. So with hockey being so unrelatable, when they went on that strike and it faded from public image, I just don't think they ever recovered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting to hear about, again, just like I said, I, I, I wanted to have you on just to celebrate the fact that you're doing it and just kind of hear, <laughs> hear what, where did it come from? What's it, why have you done it? What's it, yeah, where are you trying to get to? Not, yeah, I don't know, just interesting. That, yeah. The one observation that I had is, is that starting a business is a, lot easier than you think it would be Hmm. and there are a lot of wickets there's a lot of things you got to figure out but if you get an sbdc counselor they handle the scariest part which is making sure the government's happy with your business Mm -hmm. like ultimately that's what you really want to worry about is is you don't want to run afoul of anything legal or financial you definitely don't ever want the irs mad at you we all know that so other than that it's coming up with an idea and figuring it out now the benefit that we have is, is this is a low capital business. Um, even something like a bakery, think about the overhead just to get it started. And yeah. that is what keeps people from realizing what they want to do is access to the capital to start it. And there are some programs in the state that I think the governor just did a new one too, to encourage for people who fall outside of the traditional lending bound, uh, kind of lanes for starting up a business. They're trying to encourage more people to start businesses up. And that really has happened. Uh, you know, we talk about having a worker shortage in the country, but if you look at the number of small businesses that were started, some of those people are gone because they said, we told them for years, you know, oh, well, if you want to make more money, you know, do something better with yourself. Don't just work as a cashier. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's kind of the mindset of some jobs are transitionary and you should do better. And a lot of those people after the pandemic said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm tired of doing what I'm doing now for what I make and I'm going to start my own business and small business startups I think doubled Hmm. or some crazy number post pandemic Wow! but a lot of people are just taking that shot there's a up on the hill by the Hancock Seabock where the the veterans clinic is is the Forge Foodsmith oh yeah Um, I love that place they're really good he's a fellow veteran he's an Air Force veteran so You're seeing a lot of millennials and mostly the millennial generation. I think a lot of generations, he's still, they're approaching that age to start businesses, but you're seeing a lot of millennials that are starting up small businesses because of things that they're passionate about. And they're really tired of the corporate world. I mean, I worked for Honeywell for, I want to say seven, I think it was seven years and it was the worst job I've ever had. I mean, I would have, I wished I hadn't gotten out of the military after working for a giant corporation. Yeah. It's just, when you're in the military, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to you. And part of the mindset is, is I'm gonna get out of the military and I'm gonna go into the corporate world because the corporate world, everything's driven by profit. So they wouldn't do stupid things because that would be bad for profits. And then the reality you find out is, is that even your worst guy in your division in the military has his crap together more than your average employee in a large corporate world, just because of all the structural inefficiencies in a large organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and speaking of the forge, their briskets off the chart. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I honestly, I'm I'm hooked on their burgers. Yeah, the smoked burgers really just drive it home for me because um, I didn't get a chance to go to Baby E's, and I was so sad to see them go. But we were in Virginia for so long, and Virginia is just barbecue central, right? Mm. You got every type of it's that it's right by the Mason Dixon line, so you got every type of barbecue from 
Carolina mustard based to your dry rubs out of Texas and Memphis and different types of sauces. So it was, we got exposed to a lot of barbecue, but the best places, the best places were in the mountains of Virginia, like Shenandoah Valley area. Huh. And you drive by and it would just be an old dude on the side of the road with a smoker going and he pulled off and it was just like his daddy made barbecue, his brother makes barbecue, the whole family makes barbecue. They've been doing it for 150 years. And oh my, it's to die for. Yeah, it just just this rural side of the street barbecue. I'm a big fan of food trucks, little restaurants. You know, growing up, my family has a restaurant with Dreamland out there. So just growing up around that environment, I always love family-run restaurant and food businesses. Hmm. You know that. Not, I don't want to just dump all over corporate restaurants, but chain restaurants do suck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they treat their employees like crap. The food is bland. Most of it's frozen. It's very generic. But you find a good place where somebody takes pride in it. Where we went to the, we we're down in Texas and we were driving from roughly the Waco area up to the Dallas area. And I was with my wife's family and I wanted to eat. And I said, I want Mexican food. I want real Mexican food, not this, not some chain stuff. And so I found this place and my mother-in-law was terrified because it was off the beaten path and the area wasn't economically prosperous, but it was this little corner place. And there were three people in the restaurant working. The dad was cooking. The mom was kind of serving a little bit and cooking. And then the daughter was running the counter and waiting on everybody. And she was the only one that spoke English. Hmm. And the menu was entirely in Spanish. I didn't know what I was ordering, but we ordered like five things. They all came out family style to this day. I still don't know what I ate, but all I could say was tell your dad, this is the best food we've ever had. This is the most amazing. Everything was like roasted and fresh ingredients and like these amazing meats and sauces. I, I still, to this day, I've never learned what they were or had anything similar. But when I told him, when his daughter went in there and said, hey, the people at the table say your food is amazing. He sent out two more dishes because he was so proud. And you know, we had made him feel so good. He was like, oh, try this and this. And you could see that pride. Hmm. And that's what comes with the family business. It's that pride in what you do. It's I'm not here just to make money. This is my name. This is my livelihood and this represents me. Yeah. Are you, are you a big food guy? Like you said, with the restaurant side of things or whatever? Yeah. We, we definitely, we went through a heavy foodie phase, which can get kind of expensive. Uh, restaurant food adds up and it, it's not good for the waistline, but I've, uh, I, I've eaten a lot of foods that a lot of people probably haven't heard of. Yeah. Yeah. We went down to, uh, Costa Rica. I'm trying to think what second year of college or something like that. Went down there for a couple of weeks and at every restaurant they'd have, I mean, all kinds of different things you could order, but like lamb in sauce beef in sauce, chicken in sauce. And then eventually at the bottom, it would be meat in sauce. What the heck was meat in sauce? <laughs> <laughs> what was the fifth option? That was just right. Not labeled. Do you have any idea? I'm serious. I, I have no idea. I haven't been down that way. Okay. Um, I've had Ethiopian food, which was spicy and they have a lot of good breads. Uh, Indian food is great. When we were in Turkey, the food was fantastic. The shit pulled into Turkey. Um, I miss shawarmas from the middle East, which are they're like gyro they're like gyros they're like tacos you know generally just soft bread folded with different things but they do the middle eastern flavors that they add are really interesting and i i'm a big fan of spit meat where they're just carving it off of that rotisserie the whole time Mm -hmm. and it just adds a great flavor that's what the taco trucks are like in mexico too um but yeah you get to try a lot of different stuff when you're in different countries that's one of the fun parts about the navy is port calls being able to we don't pull in as much as we used to back in the 80s or 90s, but we did get to go to some cool places. Sure. See a lot of different things, yeah. Did you ever watch comedy overseas somewhere too? Um, No, we never really had the opportunity. 
Um, they didn't. We got USO events when we were in Dubai, but we never had a USO comedy tour come through. Which, if there's, if you wanted to support the troops, you want to support people on active duty. If there's one organization I can recommend above all else, it's the USO. What's the USO? I don't. The United. I don't even know what it stands for. United Sailors, something or another. But they're uh, they're entirely a support organization for the military. They sponsor lounges in airports. They put on comedy shows. They have food for us when we would pull in on the pier. Hmm. But the USO comedy tour is one of their big moves because we spent 20 years at war in the Middle East and they would bring comedians to perform for the troops. And you get comedians like Eliza who are, she grew up a military brat. And Hmm. so she went and did the USO tour. And to me, whenever I hear a comedian did a USO tour, that means the world to me because for some of them, they're in flak jackets and helmets and flown into air bases in Iraq and they're performing in places that could become under active fire or have suicide bombers, hmm. but they still go out and they do it or they'll, they did some USO comedy shows on ships out to sea, you know, different things. And it's, it's a great organization. A lot of the people that you interact with are retired military and they're just looking for something to do in their old age. So they, they do hospitality for service members overseas. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for breaking this down. If people did want to find you, where can they go as far as buying tickets, following you on different social media, stuff like that? Where should they go? Absolutely. So fspcomedy.com is our main website, and it has links to all of our social media. We're most active on Facebook and on Instagram. And tickets for the May 5th show are going to be available through the Rosa Center box office, both online and in person when it's open. And then future events will be available on Eventbrite. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.